You're listening to The Real Wealth Show with Kathy Fetke, the real estate investor's resource. August was a volatile month for the global economy and for stock investors. Nearly every news channel was screaming that a recession is around the corner, and some European investors have been accepting negative returns for their bonds. Should real estate investors be panicking? Should we be selling everything and buying gold? I'm Kathy Fetke, and welcome to The Real Wealth Show. Our guest today is not that surprised by what's happening. He's been predicting a financial reckoning for some time now. He's been accused of being the voice of doom and gloom, but I think he's really just pointing out the inevitable, that people can't go into debt forever and expect a positive outcome. At some point, you gotta pay the piper. But at the same time, there's always a positive and a negative to anything. So the more you can be prepared and understand what's coming, the more you can protect your money or even make money. Our guest today, Harry Dent, studied economics in college in the 70s, but found it vague and inconclusive. He became so disillusioned by the state of his chosen profession that he turned his back on it. And instead, he threw himself into the burgeoning new science of finance, where identifying and studying demographic, technological, consumer, and many other trends would empower him to be able to better forecast economic changes. Since then, he's spoken to executives, financial advisors, and investors worldwide. He's appeared on Good Morning America, PBS, CNBC, and CNN Fox News. And he's here with us today on The Real Wealth Show. So Harry Dent, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Nice to be back, Kathy. It's a great week to have you back because it's been another crazy week. Uh, I know at one time you said that you didn't think investing in gold was a good idea because values would go down. Last week they went up. Do you still feel that way? Or do you agree with Peter Schiff that this has changed your mind? <laughs> well, it, it has changed my mind short term. I mean, we did forecast this bounce back when it hit 1050 I mean, gold was oversold. We see this as what I call a bear market bounce, but it went higher. My projection was 1430 bucks. And I told Peter when last time I talked to him, look, 1525 it breaks that, then it's going higher. So I think gold could go to 1800 That's about as high as I see it, because I still see in the end we get a downturn in the economy, deflationary trends. And like in 2008, when it got like that, gold caved in. So I like gold long term. I like it very short term, like maybe the next three, six months. But uh, for the next few years after that, I do not like it. So even in a deflationary environment, you don't think people would be running to the safety of gold? No. What they did last time when Lehman Brothers went down and things got at their worst in the second half of 2008, uh, gold went down 33%, silver went down 50%, and the good old U.S. dollar went up 27%. That was the safe haven when deflation hit. People have to realize gold is somewhat of a crisis hedge, but it is way more an inflation hedge. It was the best place to be in the 70s when we had a long off and on recession and rising inflation. Gold correlates with inflation 100% long-term and even highly short-term. It is not a deflation hedge. And that's what people don't get because we haven't seen deflation since the 1930s. And even back then, you can't measure it because they froze the price of gold. (laughs) So, But 2008 does prove Gold went up in anticipation of the crisis, but when it turned deflationary, gold went down. 
Well, I always say it's good to have a little bit of gold, a little bit of silver, uh, just in case, but I would much rather have an asset that cash flows, which is why we are bullish on real estate. And I know that you just spoke at Brad Sumrock's event and you came out with a blog about that, that you noticed some trends that you did not expect, which is seniors renting more. So is that new information or is that something you already knew about? Well, you know, you know, it was new to more people than I would have thought because that's a sophisticated audience of apartments, people who invest in apartment buildings. It was newer to me because, you know, I've been preaching apartment rentals for many years now because the uh, millennials have been moving into that space, you know, until people rent more apartments until they get married. You know, used to be 26. Now it's more like 28. So that's just kind of normally naturally peaking now. But I see number one for the millennials a downturn the next two to three years when this bubble finally burst in everything. And that's going to extend the whole rental cycle. There's going to be more people renting and fewer people being able to buy. And, and, and we know a lot of millennials have held back buying compared to the boomers and extras before them. So I think rentals are going to hold up the best of any real estate are not going to go down appreciably when most real estate deflates again, like it did in, in 2006 to 2012. And you get cash flow, and like you say, unlike gold. And now real estate also is an inflation hedge long-term and did very well in the 1970s. So yes, I like that. But what was new to me is when I really started digging in and said, oh my gosh, there is this new trend. You know, Over the last 10 years, 43% growth in owners over 60 you know, versus only 17% in 35 to 39. And of course, the prime renters under 34 only 7%. And that's only because, you know, millennials have been peaking out. But the biggest thing I saw was the projections. If you're looking at 2017, where they, uh, at Rent Cafe, they had the best data, the over 60 group, 9.4 million renters. Well, that's projected to double by 2035, the next 18 years, to 18.6 million Whereas the under 34 renters are only going to grow from 14.9 to 16.1. So yes, millennials are peaking. The baby boomers, what's happening here, Kathy, is that boomers are retiring in mass. And I always say follow the boomers because they're such a big wave compared to the millennials after them for the Bob Hope generation before them. But unlike a lot of generations, they didn't save much money. They grew up in good times. And so they're behind on their whole retirement savings. And now all of a sudden, they're looking at a suburban home, often a McMansion, saying, okay, we don't need four or five bedrooms anymore. Let's get a two-bedroom condo downtown or in the suburbs. And instead of saying, oh, we'll just, you know, cash out of the McMansion and buy a condo, they say, wait a minute, the best way for us to catch up in our retirement savings is why don't we take this profit from our McMansion and put it in our retirement account, and then we'll lease, we'll rent a home in the suburbs or the city, and of course, more in the suburbs. And now they're becoming renters. Now, it's not everybody, but just, you know, 10 or 20% baby boomers with their size all of a sudden start renting when old people never rent, except when they get really old. This is a new trend. And it, again, when I look at it, it is the number one trend by far in the apartment rental market. So that means people who invest in apartments, need to say, gosh, higher end's better than lower end for these more fluent older people. Oh, they want conveniences and dog sitting and plant watering and blah, 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 you know, <laughs> and, and they want to be closer and walk to things and stuff in town and, you know, shopping and stuff. So, oh, in one story, they don't want to go upstairs the older they get. So 
it just it means okay the type of apartments you buy could shift and of course the best is if you can find apartments in the type of areas that both millennials and aging baby boomers want because again this was the first time in history you've got the downsizing of an older generation in large numbers combining with the you know emergence into the economy of a younger generation uh, there's never been an older generation that's larger than the young ones to make, oh, my gosh, the new trend is even stronger for older renters than younger renters. That That's never happened before. What about single family rentals? I, I see that trend increasing as well. You don't think the seniors will, will want a yard so much as, as living in an apartment? Well, they don't want a big yard, but, you know, single family, affordable single families, do appeal to both, especially in, 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 the, in the right area. I, I just wouldn't want a big yard. I'd want a place where smaller yards and lower maintenance. But in 2008, and I also thought this was a notable trend, a lot of hedge funds and sophisticated institutional investors started buying single family homes because, of course, they went down more than a you know, multifamily held its value and single family homes went down. So they started buying single-family homes in large numbers and renting them out during the recession and afterwards. It's another thing I introduced at uh, Brad Sumrock's conference is that the best deals are going to become on larger homes. Another trend with millennials is that since they are waiting until maybe their mid-30s to actually buy instead of their late 20s or early 30s, when they finally do, they sometimes just make the jump, okay, I'm not going to buy a starter home two-bedroom starter home, I'm going to buy a three, four-bedroom, you know, larger home and just move right to my long-term home and skip starter home thing. So another thing that real estate investors can do, buy McMansions, rent those out, uh, and you make them attractive, but you're going to get a much better deal. And then you can position those single-family, more affordable, smaller homes or the larger ones for people to rent now and then buy as the economy comes back, you know, a couple years after the bottom and the economy starts coming, then you can sell it to them and create a lot of cash flow profits and then reinvest that in rentals if you want to again. So a lot of opportunities. And so if you're looking at single family homes rather than apartment buildings, yeah, I mean, don't overlook really good deals on, on McMansions. And, uh, I'm speaking for another person in October who shows people how to turn larger suburban McMansions into assisted living facilities with 10,000 a month cash flow and stuff. So, so there's an option there. Now, that's a tough business for me, but <laughs> there are people at Brad's conference that are doing that, that are making money in assisted living, small assisted living facilities. You know, that might just take, you know, seven, eight, nine people. But, but people are paying in nursing homes eight to $10,000 a month. Definitely an opportunity there. But even buying a larger home and renting out the rooms uh, individually to nurses, or there, there's a whole lot of need for the ability to just rent out a room, which is something my daughter is doing right now. She did exactly what you said. She's, she's right on target with everything you're saying, getting married at 28, renting a big house, Airbnb some of the rooms so that they can, you know, enjoy the, the amenities of the larger home. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I mean, this generation's had to get more creative. And they also, unlike the boomers, I mean, we were taught, people my age, I mean, we grew up in the 50s. I mean, we never saw a serious recession. And even when it got difficult in the 70s, it was nothing like we've seen in recent times or when people saw in the 30s. 
And so, you know, they, they don't have this thing, oh, the dream is buying a home and becoming a millionaire on your home. I, those days are over. There's another uh, important leg of my research that only came about seven or eight years ago. I was scratching my head for many years because I was the guy that predicted the Japan bust in the late 80s when people thought they were going to take over the world and be what they, people see China today and U.S. was going to fall. And I said the opposite for the 90s. U.S. and Europe were going to boom like crazy. Japan was going to fall. And so, you know, it, it, it's been totally different direction. But, you know, now I'm seeing whole different opportunities because these aging boomers are acting different. But the thing that's so different about the millennials, they don't just assume, oh, my gosh, you've got to buy a home or you're not going to get rich. No. What I found is that I had to subtract the dying people from the buyers, the peak buyers. Normally, I would take a segment like apartments and then lag, lag the birth index by 28 years or for starter homes, 34 now, or for trade-up homes, 42. What I had to do in Japan and what I've done since in the U.S., I have to take, okay, peak buyers, let's say at 42, but subtract the dyers at 78 to 80 because dyers are sellers. And with so many older baby boomers dying for the first time, that's a big influence. So the appreciation for buying homes, even in the recovery ahead, is not going to be like we saw in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. So there's downside for owning. Uh, there's not as much upside long term. So I would not be surprised to see more people, millennials growing up, and they may decide, like you said, you know, okay, buy a bigger house and rent part of it out or just rent a bigger house. What's the big deal? You know, <laughs> things are changing. Are you saying that because there are going to be more dyers <laughs> from the baby boomers, um, and I know you've said this before, that there'll be a surplus of homes. Now, do you still think that's the case, or do you think it will, there will be an equilibrium? Okay, it's more like um, a balance. In Japan, there's a surplus. There's 8 million empty homes heading towards 15 million. That's happening in Germany and a lot of countries in Southern and Central Europe. The U.S. demographics, the millennial generation is much stronger, even though it's not the same, you know, growth wave as, as the boomers were, it's stronger. Uh, Japan, it's weak. In, in Europe, it's almost non-existent. So that's the difference. So the U.S., we just get a slowdown, slower net sales and a little bit of negative down the road. There's countries that have negative for decades, but it still takes pressure off. In other words, Homes may go up modestly in the next boom, but they're not going to go up anything like we saw in the 80s and 90s uh, and, and early 2000s. That will not happen again in our lifetimes in developed countries. And, and the U.S. will be a better market than Europe or Japan or East Asia or the other developed countries, but it will not be what it was. So you're, you're basically, I always tell people, what did we learn in Monopoly? Do you get rewarded for the appreciation of Park Place and Boardwalk? or for the rents. You get rewarded for the rents. And Robert Schiller proved this over 120 years. He looked at single-family housing adjusted for inflation, and although it goes above and below, it averages the rate of inflation, which means real estate is a great inflation hedge, but it's also a zero return adjusted for inflation. The difference between real estate and gold, you said right at the beginning, you can rent real estate for income and that can be very profitable if you're in the right market. So I have an issue way back. I said real estate will never be the same in developed countries. 
doesn't mean it won't go up. In some places, it won't. In some places, it may continue to go down, and there'll be a big surplus. There's not going to be a surplus of homes in the United States, but the growth is going to be much slower in the necessary new homes. And so there's not going to be this, you know, demand outstripping supply thing like there was in the past. It did. So I figure homes, unless you know otherwise, will grow with inflation in the future, and that's okay. But it's great if you can rent it out. It's good positive cash flow return. That's why I think the people who invest in real estate for the income and, and rentals are going to be the long-term winners in the future. The people who've been speculating have been the big winners in the past. That's the shift I see from speculation for the biggest profits in real estate to the real estate that has the best rental and income values. Just time to come back to the fundamentals. And yeah, I see pro formas that are just ridiculous. I mean, are, are you saying with inflation, and we're talking like 2%, 3% or zero? <laughs> yes. In the developed world, we're not going to see, we saw inflation at 12, 16% in the 70s. That will never, ever happen in our lifetime. It won't even happen in India from what I see, because even population growth, there's slowing. But yes, you won't see, you'll see modest inflation, you know, kind of one, two, three percent. You're not going to see high inflation. So you're not going to see high appreciation in real estate. So again, that puts more emphasis on income rather than appreciation as well. And the leverage of having your tenants pay off your debt for you. I mean, there's, there's tax benefits. There's a lot of reasons to buy real estate, just not for appreciation. Exactly. That's the new game. That's what the smart people are going to be doing. And I hate to say this, Kathy, the dumbest people on earth right now are the richest people who think that the most expensive real estate in the most expensive cities like London, San Francisco, New York, Singapore, Sydney, Australia cannot go down because rich people always buy there. They don't realize rich people lose the most money in a deflationary crash like the 1930s or what's coming now. And Manhattan, who was the Shanghai, the up and coming greatest city in the world back in the 20s, took the biggest hit in real estate and took 25 years to get even. So that's what the rich people have become the dumb money in real estate. <laughs> corporate S&P 500 managers have become the dumb money because they're buying their own highly inflated stocks in a bubble, taking their cash flow, and that money's going to disappear at the speed of light when we get a yeah. 29 to 30 light crash. They're yeah. gonna, so I've never seen the dumb money be the richest people before, but this bubble has made it that way. It's oh, really yeah. unusual. Well, it makes sense because it was easy money, uh, just kind of investing in a stock market that went up, investing in properties that went up. There wasn't uh, much more than sitting around and, and uh, watching the bubble grow. But yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. Whereas even in the last recession, the Great Recession that was housing, there were certain markets that were not affected. And it was yes. the higher priced markets that certainly were, or those that just didn't make sense. The, the greater the bubble, the greater the burst. That's true in real estate, stocks, everything. And again, uh, multifamily rentals, since rentals are favored in any downturn, those hold value the best as well as generate income. Rents generally hold up and so do prices because that's the only properties that are good in a downturn like that, in a deflationary downturn. So you really sound like uh, you're certain that a downturn is coming. I mean, I think, I think most of us realize that's true. And are you thinking two years, one year, probably not this year? Well, here, here's my thing. It's going to happen between 2020 and 22 for stocks and maybe 2023 for the economy and a little longer for real estate. If it doesn't happen by then, it's not going to happen. I and mean, we've all died and gone to heaven and, and we'll never see a recession again. And, you know, <laughs> you know what I think of that. 
Um, whether I think it's going to start for stocks and economy. I think we fall in a recession early to mid next year. But you know, you know who is going is starting to talk about cutting payroll taxes, which is a direct cash gift to everyday people for the first time. So it's possible that the Donald can hold this thing up into next year. But I tell you, it doesn't. By 2021, we're going down or I'm quitting my business and moving to uh, Australia and being a limo driver in the Gold Coast. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> well, it's been very difficult to predict, hasn't it? Because there have been, you know, some some things politically that, it, uh, you know, we have a president like we've never had in the past. But, but you know, the biggest thing, Kathy, when you print money and create an artificial economy, then now I study natural cycles and nobody studied them more than I have and farther back and, and, and from every angle. We don't have a natural economy now. It's totally artificial. So they're just creating, they're, they're keeping the economy going by keeping financial assets, real estate, stocks and things bubbling up to keep enough going to keep the banking system and the economy from crashing. But they're just creating a bubble that's going to burst bigger. And, and you can't do that forever. So it's, it, this isn't going to last. But Everything I have, the worst of all of my cycles hit together between 2020 and 22. That's why I say, if we don't see it crack by then, then, then there's some magic been created here, and, and I might as well quit my business. <laughs> so I know you got to go, but to prepare for that, obviously, cash flow real estate, that's in uh, markets with job growth, jobs of the future. That's one place we are still positive about. But where else can people protect their money in 2020 to 2022? Very, very clear. There's nothing wrong with cash because the value of cash goes up when everything else drops. But there's one investment sector in general that does that actually goes up. And this was true in the 1930s for the whole decade, the worst decade in history and the biggest deflationary crisis, high quality bonds, 10 and 30 year treasury bonds and 20 year AAA corporate bonds basically doubled counting their yields, uh, doubled in value for investors in the worst decade in history when stocks went down as much as 90%, real estate went down as much as 30 to 40, and New York went down 62% Manhattan. So that's the thing, being in high-quality long-term bonds that benefit from the deflationary trend, interest rates going down, and they will go lower. You will see 0 to 1% in 10-year Treasury bonds, and then you get rid of them. So bond yields are going lower. So that means the value of those bonds go up in addition to the fact that they're going to pay you two, maybe 3% interest, which, which is going to look good in such a downturn. So cash flow, real estate, and high quality long-term bonds are the two places to be. Unfortunately, in, in this what I call the winter season, there aren't many places to diversify into because stocks, uh, basic most real estate and commodities all go down. Good stuff. All right, Harry Dent, thank you so much for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. Thank you, Kat. And thank you for joining me here on The Real Wealth Show. You can listen to this in any past episodes at realwealthshow.com.